The new Super Beats Heart Chews Advanced is now supercharged with CoQ10. Support your healthy CoQ10 levels and blood pressure with two chews a day. Visit RadioBeatsBeets.com and save 15% with promo code DEAL. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Well, here we are. Welcome back in. Great to be back on the SportsMediaWatch.com podcast as we get going for another week. Now knowing the participants in Super Bowl 57 in Arizona, that will be the Philadelphia Eagles and the Kansas City Chiefs. I am merely the somewhat capable host, TJ Reeves. He is the guy that you're here to listen to, to get knowledge from, insight from. You uh, read him all the time as the owner of the operator of SportsMediaWatch.com. Hello, Dr. John Lewis, once again as uh, we now know the Super Bowl participants and uh, all of that is set. We've got a lot to go over in terms of ratings, numbers, and the NFL season is almost done. So welcome. Good to have you uh, back here aboard on the program. How are things? Things are going well. Uh, Just uh, getting by another football weekend. Just one more left after this. This is true, except for the skills competition of the Pro Bowl that's this yeah. weekend, which we may save that for love it or leave it. We may bring it up. We may not on uh, on some rapid fire a little bit later on. OK, uh, by the way, thank you for finding us. However, you've done so again, you're going to want to follow or subscribe to the SportsMediaWatch.com podcast feed on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, wherever you get podcasts to make sure to get great content like this. By the way, our colleague George Offman has resumed with his Tell Me a Story I Don't Know podcast that is on this feed. Uh, and you will hear Cassidy Hubberth of, of ESPN and their NBA coverage. Cassidy is a fascinating story, a very quick rise from being a Chicagoland high school uh, student into Northwestern and their journalism and broadcasting and rising all the way through uh, kind of local regional TV all the way up now to ESPN. George features her career rise and talks to her about uh, adjustments working in the NBA at the highest level. Tell me a story I don't know with that podcast feed. And then again, Mike Gill and Phil DeMont Mullen as well with the announcer schedules podcast. Mike riding high. Mike Gill, because he's part of the Philadelphia Eagles media market, and the Eagles have now obviously made the Super Bowl, and Mike will be covering Super Bowl 57 as part of the local slash regional media for the Eagles. So they'll have a lot to talk about on announcer schedules in a little bit. We got a lot to talk about with the NFL, so why don't we get right into it? We had a blowout game for the Eagles over the 49ers, followed by a dramatic last-second field goal win by the Chiefs over the Bengals in the nightcap on CBS. John, you wrote about this on Tuesday afternoon on the site. A couple of interesting aspects to it, but go through the numbers, go through the ratings, then we'll get into it a little bit as the Super Bowl matchup is set. 
Well, uh, you know, look, the reality of the matter is in the out-of-home era, it's not going to take a lot to get a big number. So uh, 53 million viewers for Bengals Chiefs. It's a tremendously high number, the kind of number that, you know, the NFL always does great. But when you're getting comfortably into the 50 million mark, that was the domain of true all-time classic Titanic matchups in the past. This was a great game. But, you know, it wasn't at that level. It wasn't like Patriots Chiefs was back in 18, the, the hype level. It wasn't to that level, but the audience almost was. And that's just a function of out of home, right? Uh, the real surprise is that 49ers Eagles had 47.5 million viewers. I'm hoping that I will see the, the, uh, the in-home versus out-of-home breakdown. I assume that without out-of-home, I mean you would think that would be in the low 40 million, maybe even under 40 million range. I mean, that was a terrible game. There wasn't anything to it. Uh, the 49ers were completely overmatched with the injuries, but you know, out of home can't explain this. It was down only 1% from Bengals chiefs last year. So even though we know out of home gave it a boost that last year out of home was included as well. So out of home uh, ultimately doesn't explain why viewership was only down 1%. Clearly, you know, People are willing should, to watch. Yeah. Pardon me, but we should make mention that was the early game a year ago. So right. it is a complete uh, exact comparison. Early game a year ago and the early game a year ago was an overtime win by Cincinnati, a far closer yeah. game. So I think that is a very valid point on the comparison. Yeah. Uh, you know, somebody was saying to me on Twitter that uh, maybe it's the case that for the early window, because it's the second game afterward, people are more likely to stick around a little longer. And I think that's true. That same game in the late window, it's not getting 47.5 million. People are tuning out, going to bed early. But when it's a three o'clock game and you know you have a six o'clock game to go, what else are you going to sure. what, what watch instead? So uh, I, I think that helped. Well, and another another part of this, once your take on this, is that Philadelphia and San Francisco are big time brand name major cities uh, ingrained for a couple of reasons. Number one, we keep talking about the Philadelphia hate factor. You cannot overemphasize this enough that in New York, in Washington, D.C., which are major uh, markets and in Dallas, for example, they can't stand. They hate the Philadelphia Eagles and they're going to yep. watch to see if they're going to lose um, in terms of the Northeast. In terms of San Francisco, you're now bringing in the brand name. The 49ers of the 80s and the early 90s with all those Super Bowls have legions of fans, not only in Northern California, but in the West that are involved in that game. And I just think those two things together, those major markets and some hate factor, because Los Angeles is Los Angeles is a big 49er market. We've seen that with the 49ers coming back to play the Rams these last three or four years in L.A. and tons of 49er fans invade. There are hundreds of thousands, if not millions in and around Southern California that go watch the 49ers that will watch them on TV. And for so many years, John, I don't want to digress too much because L.A. didn't have a team. They were constantly showing the 49ers on the NFC package in the L.A. market uh, for 20 plus years. So they have a huge following in California, in L.A., in San Diego, in the West that translates into that game, even if it's a bad game. And look, Mahomes is a national brand, a star quarterback, but Kansas City is the middle of the country. It's not going to register the same in the Northeast. There's not the hate factor. And Cincinnati's not going to bring the same hate factor. So even though you had a close game, I can understand 
uh, where it was not the same. So I think, what do, do you buy my theory about the major markets and some of the anti-factor, and in particular for the 49ers being that team? I think if it's Philadelphia and the Seahawks, for example, if it's Philadelphia and um, I'm looking for another NFC team, Phoenix, all right, that are in the West, if it's them, I don't think there's near the audience. That was maybe probably 5 million more. May, uh, this is world according to TJ, John. Maybe 7 million more because it's the 49ers and they're so prominent and so popular. Well, you know, that's certainly possible. I'm not really sure, though. I mean, you know, the 49ers, their relevance, it, it's been a long time since they were, you know, the team that they were. I understand uh, the dynasty, but they were in the NFC title game a year ago. They were in the Super Bowl in 2020 with Garoppolo as the NFC champions. They again, they have a five, their local ratings in San Francisco, their ratings in LA are massive. So yeah. I just think it's part of it. I think it's part of the discussion. And I think you would have had a much worse number had it been the Seahawks, had it been, you know, Arizona, Phoenix. It's not the same. Uh, it's just my feeling. Uh, what else, uh, with the uh, with the numbers in particular? That what did that 9 p.m. Eastern time hour peak as the Chiefs were were finishing off the last second field goal win? That was massive, yeah. obviously for CBS. Nearly 60 million, you know. Um, and, and obviously out of home plays a role, but you know, I mean, I don't even think Game Seven of the World Series with the Cubs in Cleveland uh, peaked at that level. Again, you know, who knows how how big an audience that would have been if out of home was tracked back then, but. Uh, it's just a tremendous number, you know. It's the NFL, uh, and the NFL can trot out garbage and get forty-seven million viewers for it with San Francisco and Philadelphia. That that's just the power of what the league is able to do. Uh, no other league, no other sports property can 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 do what the NFL can do. And it's just amazing to think that six years ago people were convinced the league was going to die out. Uh, yeah, foolish if you were thinking that. Uh, by the way, compare it because you did this in your article on SportsMediaWatch.com. The 49ers and the Cowboys were in the late window on Fox with a close game, not decided until the final couple minutes of the game. How did that compare to the Bengals Chiefs audience on yeah. CBS? And was the Bengals Chiefs audience not on? Was that not about an hour longer later in the day, or was it was it a true comparison? Same, same window. Yeah. Same window, and obviously many more viewers than than the Cowboys game. That was 45.7. Obviously, 45.7 is a great number in the divisional round. I do think it's strange to think that there are people who will say, well, it's just the divisional round. I'll tune in next week for the championship games, right? But, I mean, that does happen. The viewership builds by the round. So, not. I mean, it's a little bit surprising from the standpoint of we know that the Cowboys are, are such a big draw. When they played the Packers a few years ago in the divisional round, that game ended up with more viewers than either of the conference championship games. But in general, a, a divisional round game is not going to be able to get that kind of number, no matter how big it is, uh, as, as the same kind of number as a game, as a uh, title game would. Interesting that you pointed that out, though, and that's not even in the out-of-home era, right? That's the 2014 controversial Dez caught it game that no, the Cowboys uh, call it. 16, right? 17. Six, yeah. yeah, the Cowboys uh, and the uh, and the Packers uh, in the divisional round would be more than uh, than the championship games. That's interesting. Okay, so now we have uh, a week and a half still as the time that we're releasing this podcast before Philadelphia and Kansas City play. Do you have any thoughts on what that number might be coming around for Super Bowl 57 with out of home taken into account? Uh, 
the fact that we're post-pandemic. We had a Super Bowl a year ago, obviously, with the Rams and the Bengals on NBC. What what are your thoughts on what that number might be? Well, um, I don't know. I mean, the Super Bowl has averaged in each of the past two years fewer than a uh, less than a 40 rating. So, you know, 40 rating, that was the baseline for many, many years. First year Super Bowl had a 40 rating was 1971. Between 1971 and 2021, it had a 40 rating all but one year. The exception was 49ers Broncos. 49ers win by 45 points in mm-hmm. 1990 out of 39. Past two Super Bowls, 38.6 and 36.9. So look, it's not 100% apples to apples. Nielsen's uh, methodology changes all the time. And the reality is that they've made changes on the household rating side that have not been as publicized as the changes they made on the viewership side, but they have made changes that make direct comparisons to past years a little bit shaky. It's not 100% apples to apples. It's like apples to peers. It's, you know, uh, not quite apples to oranges, right? Uh, but, you know, look, I mean, that says something. It says something that the Super Bowl had a 36.9 rating last year. That's obviously spectacular, but you're talking about a game that in 2015 had a 47.5 rating. That's a big And rating. wasn't measuring out of home, as you always like oh, to yeah. emphasize. Right. So remember that. So the rating wouldn't include out of home anyway, because the okay. rating is the household rating. So okay. in home. So that keeps it at that closer to apples to peers kind of measure. Mm-hmm. And that's pretty big erosion in a really short amount of time. Now, last year's Super Bowl averaged 99 million viewers, not including streaming or Spanish language. Um, if you include the Spanish language, it's about 101 million. And then NBC did something weird with the streaming where they measured, they, they, I won't even get into it, but NBC put out the number of 112.3 million across all platforms. If they had used the same kind of streaming measurements that the networks have used in past years, it would have been around 107 million. But either way, if you add everything into the soup, you're talking about well over 100 million viewers. But, you know, I mean, if we're just talking about the traditional Nielsen measure and you take out of home out of it, you're probably looking at something that's maybe close to the low 90s, right? I mean, and that's something I don't think anyone would have expected for the Super Bowl a few years ago. So the audience is dwindling, I would say, not, you know, in a in a dangerous way. Nobody needs to be concerned. The NFL will still make money. It's still the Super Bowl. But, you know, there's some erosion there for sure. What um, what's interesting is Fox put out on Tuesday while we're doing the podcast uh, that it's the second most streamed NFL game on Fox in Fox Sports history, but they didn't give more specifics. At least what I see, maybe they did on a release for you because you're in that in that circle where they would inform you more. What is the most streamed, and do we have any idea? Was that was that streaming number two million people? Was that streaming number seven million people? Because again, Fox has the Super Bowl coming in uh, ten days, roughly from the eleven days from the time that we released this podcast. So the yeah. streaming the streaming would be in comparison how much it would go up. I don't know what that is though, and they didn't specify in the in the social media post that I see. Yeah, well, uh, I would imagine it's got to be Super Bowl, uh, you know, 40 or 50, whatever, back in 20. Uh, the Chiefs and the Niners, that was 3.4 million devices that Fox okay. had streaming that. So uh, I would think that's the record. Um, you know, uh, I would expect- So probably safe a two, two and a half million maybe streamed it, something maybe, like that, 49ers, something like that. Eagles. Yeah. 
And so, so you know, maybe the, it'll be more because again, we're three or four years down the road since right. then on technological advances and people watching on their yeah. phone, on their iPad, on their device. Well, the first year they streamed it, it was 346,000. That was NBC in 20, in 2012. And then, you know, it was 973,000 in 2014 and then 2 million in 2017 and then mm. 5.7 million in, in, in 21. And then last year it was 6 million. Right. Wow. Uh, so, you know, uh, we'll see what this year's game does. I expect it to maybe decline because last year NBC was doing it on Peacock, right? Well, Fox has no meaningful streaming outlet. They have Tubi. They don't use it. Uh, Fox is the only outlet of the big networks that does not have a, a dedicated streaming service. It was 6 million on Peacock last year, 5.7 million on Paramount Plus the year before. And then 3.4 million on Fox the year before that. That's a pretty big jump. And I think Paramount Plus and Peacock have a lot to do with that. I actually do think the streaming audience look for that to potentially decline. It's a year. good it's good insight from you. And again, you have to have the Fox Sports app to stream it or go to FoxSports.com to stream it. But your point is you're not regularly watching that for any of the right. uh, network content, the reality shows, any of the other reruns or any of the stuff that you would want to watch, much less original programming that's on things like peacock or paramount plus that they've been pushing and uh pursuing so again the eagles and the kansas city chiefs with patrick mahomes and it's the third time for uh, mahomes and the chiefs in the last yeah. four years the eagles were obviously here just give me a reference point that eagles win which their fans love over the patriots uh for the super bowl what the 2017 season the the february 2018 super bowl which was nbc correct 2018 yeah. what was the overall audience there that would be a barometer just to have the eagles back in the super bowl so it was 103 million for the linear nielsen measure you add to that Universo Spanish language, and you have a total street, uh, uh, linear audience of 116 million if you add in the out of home. So, this is where it gets confusing. Out of home was being tracked before 2020, but it wasn't being included. You had to add it in after the fact, it was like a separate measure. So, we do know the out of home audience for the Super Bowl in 2019 and 18 and 17. It was uh, about 12 million in 17 and 18 and i have 11 million in 19 i'm not 100 percent sure on that uh but um so that super bowl when you add in out of home and streaming and spanish language to the 103 million for the main broadcast you have 118 million which is actually the most watched super bowl on record but again you're adding in all sorts of extra stuff and the official nielsen audience is just 103 million but uh, that did quite well i mean 103 million and Fox yes. is going to be very thrilled if they get that this year. And again, the Tom Brady factor on that one as the opposing team, the hate factor, the brand name. I don't know that Mahomes registers the same way in the Northeast, oh. maybe um, a little bit in the AFC. But that, that'll be interesting for the uh, for the Super Bowl uh, component. Uh, one other thing we had speculated, and I, I look, everybody keeps inundating me. What's up with Tom Brady? Is Tom Brady going to continue to play? Is Tom Brady going to continue to play with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers? At this point, as we're releasing this podcast, there's nothing definitive from him that he will continue to play or that it will, he will continue to play in Tampa Bay. He can be an unrestricted free agent, as we keep emphasizing. He can go play where he wants if he would like to. I kept theorizing that he would appear potentially on the Fox pregame Super Bowl coverage. For God's sake, John, they're going to be on for like 29 consecutive hours. Okay, I'm over-exaggerating. Yeah. They're going to be on for a while. 
they released the rundown of their different talent, their different shows, and everyone for Fox for Super Bowl Sunday. Brady's name is not on it. So for whatever that's worth, there was not an official announcement that he's part of it. I still wonder, I'm only wondering if he might be there in Phoenix, at least for a segment to talk about the game. Okay, maybe he's not. And if he's not, there's further speculation that if he continues to play in 2023, that he and Fox, and I'm gesturing to John, even though you can't see us, they may both just wipe their hands of that deal and say, he's not going to be an analyst for now. He's going to play this football season. And by the way, Greg Olson has done a good job. I want your analysis on that in a second. And we're going to stay with Greg Olson with Kevin Burkhardt in the booth from beyond this Super Bowl. What are your thoughts to all of that? And give me a thought on Greg Olson uh, now in the in the lead role. Well, the reality of the matter is everyone likes him now. We'll see what they feel like in three years. You know, everyone was Greg Olson over you're Romo. talking about. Go, yeah, Greg, Greg Olson. Olson. Right, right. Yeah, they, they were gaga over Tony Romo, couldn't get enough Tony Romo. Now they all hate Tony Romo. And, uh, you know, I mean, that's fickle doesn't even begin to describe it. It's 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 nonsensical. And that, you know, that's not me suggesting that Romo is doing a great job right now. I, I don't think he is. Like I said last week, he's becoming the wacky neighbor on a sitcom, like uh, you know, <laughs> one of those guys on, on step by step. Look, the reality of the matter is he needs to buckle down and, and get back to the basics, not the Jim, 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 you know, or Gene, uh, Gene, Gene, yeah. instead of, instead of asking Gene, his opinion on whether that's the right call, give us yours, right? right. You played. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he, he's got to take it a little bit more seriously. And, you know, the mistake was to pay, you know, backing up the Brinks truck after what, two, three years. Mm -hmm. It was nonsense. The whole thing was ridiculous. The whole uh, business uh, of spending this much money on analysts. It was like NFTs. I mean, honestly, it was like buying an NFT for a million dollars of, you know, Tony Romo making a face. I mean, it's basically this, it's basically what CBS did. Uh, and, you know, the reality of the matter is, I, I think Romo will be, still has the potential to be a great analyst, but, you know, he's he's regressed. Now, as far as Greg Olson goes, there's no real hype machine behind him yet. Even though he's getting praise, it's almost like a cult hit, you know. Mm -hmm. uh, he's not really broken through into the mainstream. I, I suspect most people still don't know that he's the lead analyst. They'll, they may be watching the games, but they're not paying attention to who's calling it. Uh, the Super Bowl will be his big coming out party. Um, you know, I think he's perfectly fine. Um, you know, I, I think he's done a good job in, in, in a strange set of circumstances where he has the job, but he knows that his replacement's already been hired. Um, you know, so it kind of honestly, because whereas Romo was, you know, people were genuflecting before him and washing his feet. Right. You know, instead, Greg Olson is kind of being humbled right out of the gate. Uh, and, you know, the reality is I, I actually messed up the Bible metaphor because it was Jesus who washed the other people's feet. <laughs> That's so, correct. Yeah. Yes. I guess in that scenario, Romo would be washing people's feet and people would be singing about it. But, you know, <laughs> uh, the, the point is that, you know, Olsen has been a little bit humbled to start because his replacement's already been hired. I think it takes some pressure off. It allows him to just be himself. And, you know, maybe but that's truly can I interject. Has sure. his replacement been hired? If wow. Tom Brady plays again this season, yeah. uh, again, that there's a lot of whispering, murmuring that, that both sides may just let that deal dissipate. $300 million. 
I, I mean, yeah, but that was contingent on him coming in for this season and being part of the Super Bowl and all of that, and it didn't happen. And now they've kind of gone along. Again, I don't have insight on this. I've talked to some Fox people. There's some belief that if he continues to play, they're just going to press forward. Because keep in mind, they still have marquee right. America's Game of the Week. They still have the NFC Championship game every year. But they're and, gonna have to compensate him if if they if he if he want if he doesn't back out, but they say we're not gonna they they agree to a contract with him. They have to pay him something. We'll see. You know? uh, well, I mean, yeah. whatever the contract says and whatever they agree to, who knows? He may decide he doesn't want to do it. That's another possibility. He may decide that he in that in that time frame when he elected to come back to the Buccaneers, he was wanting to do it. He agreed to do it, but now he doesn't want to do it. Oh, we don't know. It's still three hundred million dollars. I hey, you and I will take it. We can even knock one of the zeros off on that, and we would take it. Would well, we? Would we take it for knocking two of the zeros off? We would. We might even take it for that right now. Yeah. Make some money, make yeah. some money. But for right now, it doesn't appear that we're going to see him on the pregame coverage on no. Fox, even though they're going to be there for hours and hours and hours on Super Bowl Sunday at State Farm Stadium in Arizona. We'll see. Well. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Yeah, we'll see what happens with that. All right. On to the NBA. Uh, just real quick, then we're going to get to some love it or leave it. NBA had a nice Saturday night audience. You wrote about this on the site for Celtics Lakers, such a traditional rivalry for 50 plus years in the NBA. And it delivered a good number. John, give us more in some context. Yeah, well, you know, the viewers uh, tuned in to watch Eric Lewis and company, and they weren't disappointed, right? Uh, you know, look, uh, it was a 3.69 million viewers. You mean the referee for those that don't get yeah. your reference. Yeah. Yes. Uh, and a no call on a LeBron foul and Patrick Beverly with an all time uh, technical foul going over to the ref and showing yeah. him the still photo of this was a foul. Yeah. Hey, 3.69 million viewers. It's not 53 million like the NFL got. But if you're the NBA, you'll certainly gladly take it. The largest regular season audience outside of Christmas since 2020 when uh Actually, exactly three years ago today when the Lakers played their first game after the death of Kobe Bryant. Uh, if you take that game out, obviously not a very uh, typical game. If you take that game out, it was the most watched in four years since Lakers Sixers and ABC in February of 2019. Uh, you'll notice a lot of Lakers in, in, in this discussion because even though Golden State is the biggest draw in the NBA, LeBron James and the Lakers were being a pretty bad team for most of LeBron's tenure there, have always been at worst 1B to the Warriors 1A, maybe 1C if you want to put the Celtics in there this time around. Uh, but the reality of the matter is, uh, you know, for the NBA, uh, Saturday, had, it, was, it was a big audience to watch some of the big flaws with the game. And the officiating has been terrible all season long. Uh, the officiating has gotten worse with time. Uh, it makes you nostalgic for the days of Joey Crawford, believe it or not. Joey Crawford was a lot of things, but he wasn't blowing a call that blatant in the final seconds of a game. And uh, you know what else, too? He had a he had a very quick trigger finger. He did. And that yeah. Tim Duncan ejection was embarrassing. Throwing, throwing people out. Yeah. yeah. By the way, are we supposed to make mention that LeBron took four and a half steps before the supposed foul? Are we supposed to have been traveling in the NBA went out with like the 90s, I think. But I think a blown that that a blown hand on the wrist 
supersedes a blown travel in <laughs> the this four league. and a half steps to get yes. to the hand on the wrist. Yes, it uh, does. on that. But you're right. I mean, in, in the in the previous days, I mean, look, the the NFL is being savaged for how bad the officiating was and all the reviews and the supposed. I mean, in, uh, you know, hashtag NFL rigged was was yeah. passed around Sunday night and Monday with the officiating. There's a couple of things. One, we have to understand they are human beings that are trying to do the best they can in real time. And two, when you slow everything down with 4K replays, you see all kinds of things that human beings at full speed aren't going to see and aren't going to catch. Nobody would. Nobody does. So I'm just throwing that out there on the officiating. The yeah, counter to that, yeah, the counter to that, these are multi-billion dollar leagues. And sure. So, you know, the human element is understandable, but, you know, I mean, one, the league should probably be. Paying Would you back. not agree with me, though, that the argument in the NFL is that they're older? This is ageism. They're older. They're not in as good a shape, um, it, it, you know, to run with the players, keep up with the players. That's not an argument with the NBA. The demographic is much is. younger for the most part. For I mean, for most of the oh. officials, they're younger. They have to run more than what the NFL officials do. So I don't I don't subscribe to hey they've got to get younger and more athletic officials that are on it as being a solution i don't know that you know, that's yes that yeah that's actually an interesting point because the reality is the nba's officiating was better when it was joey crawford and dick bavetta and it wasn't good it was bad and and you know there's a lot of stuff with dick bavetta and bennett salvatore and bob delaney but see i go back before that game. to like earl strom working all the big uh games and what was it jack madden not john madden and some of those other refs and they had two man crews and they never and they never had uh, any replays to go to. There was never instant replay. They just called it and everybody tried their yeah. best to live up to it. And, well, you know, don't forget Mindy Rudolph working for CBS all those years and uh, yes. Richie Powers at in Boston getting uh, beaten up in game five <laughs> in 1976. Yes. You know? That for people that don't know what you just said, the epic Suns Celtics triple overtime game, there's a fan on the floor when they think the game is over. Taking All the swings, fans are on the floor. But there's All a fan taking swings right. at the referee for a game that then resumed, yeah. if I have it right, after that happened. How crazy would that have been in the present day to contemplate? Well, but yes, yeah. the uh, the well, official. We saw that in baseball with Laz Diaz. I think it was Laz Diaz and the year before with the other back-to-back game, back-to-back years at Comiskey Park in, in Chicago. You had the one umpire who was attacked, and I don't remember his name, but he was attacked pretty badly and then this, by, by these two shirtless idiots. And then the next year, same park, I believe it was Laz Diaz who got attacked. So that's recent enough. There's a lot of adults too young to remember those two events happening because they're in early 2000s, but we've seen that somewhat mm -hmm. All right. So uh, again, just one more for context, a typical Saturday night and this was a triple header, as you made mention yep. of in your article, that built up to it. Uh, I saw the NBA countdown even had a, a a really nice bump from having the other games that were on. But a typical Saturday night from here on out in the NBA, they're going to be happy with a couple of million people, right? Oh well, yeah, they I won't, mean they won't make an announcement yeah. that they're happy with that, but they would be right. happy with a couple the of million in prime is, time. The reality is that you know anything over three million for a regular season NBA game is quite good. Now that used to be something you'd take for granted. You used to expect. You know, this was the first NBA regular season game outside of Christmas to have even a two rating since 2020, the day, three days before everything shut down. Uh, the reality is 
you know, a lot of the NBA never really fully recovered from that uh, hiatus. It just never really did. Now, the numbers are fine for what they are, but you had Steph Curry in the NBA finals and it averaged a 6.4 rating. That's a terrible rating for a Steph Curry finals by any standard prior to that hiatus against Boston. The yeah, love hate thing, and we kept talking about that last, uh, right. uh, yeah, last year, last summer, that you Boston, know. a traditional and a major market in the Northeast, and here we go with the hate factor again in New York and Philadelphia. They hate Boston, uh, but it didn't do better than that. It's a good point that yeah. you make to try and to get you know, back to those days. I don't think anyone can deny that the NBA product isn't as good. I mean, the officiating, uh, you know, but it should be noted that even with the ratings decline, and even with the product being not really at the level I think really anyone associated with the NBA wants it to be. Uh, everyone's getting all these cheap 50-point games that have no meaning because everyone's getting them with, with such ease. You know, the reality is, hey, what other leagues are getting 3.6 million viewers on a Saturday night, you know, in the regular season? I mean, right. that's the kind of number. If you take the NFL and college football out of the mix, there's just not a lot of sports getting to that level. So even in a, frankly, in my opinion as a fan, in a subpar version of the NBA that is woefully in need of improvement. They're still doing pretty well for themselves, even with the decline. And we didn't even go Steve Javi on the old school oh, yeah. uh, recent officials. Daryl Garretson. Yeah. What was and the Ron son? Garretson. Ronnie, Ronnie Garretson. That yeah. was the son. Hugh uh, Hollins, who stole a go. game Look from the Bulls this. in the 90s. <laughs> Listen to you, stole a yeah. game from. Trying to stoke yeah. the fire. Uh, on that. All right. So good stuff there on the NBA. Shall we? Shall we proceed down the stretch of the show? Let's sure. do it. Love it or leave it. Okay. Uh, let's begin on love it or leave it. Throw a couple of things out there. Obviously, we've been talking about the uh, the audience and the ratings and what and what people love. Uh, much love still for Dick Vitale. I'll just throw this out here at the beginning that Dickie V had a cancer checkup that he reported on social media earlier this week. He checked clear on his six-month checkup. Again, Vital is, what, 82 or now 83 years old? I think he's 82, uh, reporting that his cancer check was clear. He's still able to work games. Love Dickie V being around the biggest games in the month of March. So that's a love it uh, for me on that standpoint. By the way, the college rating, speaking of what we love, for yeah. the Kentucky-Kansas game on ESPN – the college audience number was somewhere around two million, like a million nine or two million. I think is what I saw. Overall. It was short of two million. It was down from last year when it was it was comfortably over two million last year. This year, one point nine million. It aired opposite that Lakers Celtics game yes. that could help. So uh, the competition, Kentucky not being very good, you know. But we have Duke Carolina coming up, and again, no Coach K for Duke, but John Shire's team is good. North Carolina is good, and of course, North Carolina was in the national championship game. Last year, let's see what that rating might look like for a Carolina Duke game. Much, much more, you're not going to get more uh, a bigger um, audience drawn in than for Kentucky against Kansas in a regular season in January, probably, or Duke and Carolina being involved, right, for well, a regular season game. Well, just last week, there was more. There were more viewers for Michigan State, Indiana, because for college basketball. What moves the needle most is lead-ins, is airing after the NFL or airing directly before the NFL. Interesting. So it's not even matchups, I would say, because most watch game of the year is DePaul versus Creighton. You know, nobody cares about watching those teams play. I mean, nobody. But it was the lead-in right. to the to the NFL. It was playoffs. the lead-out from the NFL, from the, from NFL, the NFL on Christmas Day. Yeah. Interesting. So, 
you know, that that's that's what was the needle in college. I will uh, just add UConn, t- Tennessee in the in the women's game did OK for ESPN over six hundred ninety something thousand viewers, I think, which for the women's game is uh, a strong number, second best of the season. Everyone was mad at Gino Oriyama because he was animated in his, in his interview with Holly Rowe. I find that kind of annoying because it's a little infantilizing. You know, Holly Rowe is pretty tough. We've seen her, you know, right. shove people out of the way. You know, I think she can handle an elevated tone from Gino Oriyama without people on Twitter needing to, you know, rescue the damsel in distress. <laughs> I will say uh, uh, Calipari probably shouldn't have put his hands on her a few weeks ago. Correct. That, that was over the line, I think. But, you know, come on. Gino Oriyama was mad. He yelled. He wasn't yelling at her. Twitter is just ridiculous sometimes. Yeah. And, and some, you know, in, in some circles, uh, you might be concerned. Don't be concerned for Holly Rowe. She can take care of yeah. herself. She's a pro's pro. Like you said, she's now working in the NBA as well with the Utah Jazz. So she yeah. gets it uh, at the highest level. By the way, we should mention, wasn't it an NFL lead in that UCLA game? Uh, I know Tim Brando was working it for Fox. That got like the highest rating Fox's regular season college basketballs had in years, if not a long time. It had like two and a half or three million that night. And wasn't the NFL the lead in? I think. Yeah. Now it was not actually in terms of the highest for Foxes. They aired that deep hall Creighton game after okay. the Christmas games, but it was one of their top games. And again, when you have a look, if you have, if you have the NFL and you have other properties, you have to air those other properties after the NFL. Um, you know, I mean, it's just, it just makes sense. The um, what is it called now? The the Musial Awards. Anyone ever heard of the the Musial? You're Awards? talking about like Stan Musial, the baseball yeah. star. I've never really even heard of this, and it got you know 1.92 million viewers, something like that, airing after the NFL uh, on CBS on on Christmas Eve. If you put something in after an NFL window, like say the WNBA, the NWSL, MLS. You know, it's obvious. SRX, I mean, granted, that's in the summer, so I shouldn't even have mentioned it. But if it was in the fall, IndyCar, which is on NBC, so right. that's Sunday night. But, you know, all of these small properties that need that viewership bump, that desperately need that big sampling, the NFL single header or the NFL playoffs, just anything NFL, if you can get in in that post game slot. All right, let's go to another one. Love it or leave it. Interesting. How much trouble is brewing with this bankruptcy? And we don't we don't want to go on for 10 minutes, but this bankruptcy brewing for the Sinclair properties and the diamond, you'll get the name right for me, the diamond, whatever sub subdivision of it with all the Major League Baseball teams and their rights fees. And it's not just MLB teams. It's also NHL teams, NBA teams on the regional cable level. It's Bally Sports. It used to be Fox, uh, but now it's it's changed hands a couple of times. They're headed to bankruptcy, and there's a bunch of things being written in the sports business world uh, that that parent company is now going to miss an interest payment and rights fees to teams in the tens of millions are going to potentially be tied up or missed. Love it or leave it that this is a big deal starting the baseball season. It's a a very big deal. Uh, You know, the RSN business is still very important, but it's also probably a necessary occurrence. Disney or Fox, I should say, got away with, you know, murder, right? Those RSNs, I remember the valuations. Oh, they're worth 20 billion by themselves. And, you know, uh, everyone kind of believed it at the time because (laughs) obviously the RSN ratings were so good. And you see immediately that, no, they're worth actually $20. And uh, Mm. Sinclair is in a rough spot. Frankly, Sinclair from Living Single could have done just as much with these RSNs as Sinclair Broadcasting has. That's a Kim Coles shout out. Very nice. 
Now, the reality of the matter is that uh, this is necessary. Uh, there are billion dollar with a B deals yeah. for a lot of the major league teams over 15 years or more. And they, they are relying on hundreds of millions of dollars in rights fees yeah. over the course of a season. And some but, of that may be about to be disrupted. Yeah. Here we go. Transitioning, it's not going to be pretty. It's not going to be fun. But transitioning away from this model that just can't work in the era of cord cutting. It mm-hmm. just can't work. It's necessary. It's been needing to happen for years. It's going to happen painfully. But Oof. I think ultimately on the other side of it, things could be better for certainly the viewers if these games are available over the top through a, you know, a, a direct-to-subscriber model or you know, certainly without any local blackouts and things like that. I mean, it's, it's, it's going to be a good thing down the line, maybe not you know, financially for the leagues and the teams at first. Uh, which, of course, uh, will right. probably keep, end up hurting the fans in other ways with higher prices. Well, and for- keep in mind, there are there is a segment. I'm not trying to be ageism again, but there is a segment that wants to watch this on their cable TV or yeah. on their direct TV or their dish and is used to cutting the TV on and watching it. And if it's not there, they're not seeing it, whether it's on Apple Plus or any other streaming for Major League Baseball now I'm talking about. Yeah. YouTube TV, Apple Plus, they didn't gravitate to it. It's not catered towards them to begin with, but the no. you know, if the if the Sinclair regional cable deals all disintegrate, if 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 that's a huge blow with an older demographic that doesn't go find streaming as easily. So, yeah, that loves baseball, point. that wants to watch baseball throughout 162 games and throughout a season. Well, I was just going to say, you know, we do talk about ageism, but don't forget that all those young people from 20 years ago are getting older and older and older. And soon enough, your median 50 or 60 year old will have had experience with streaming when they were in their 40s or 30s. You know, I mean, granted, that's a little bit of the long term view. But when we talk about the older demographics, the older demographics are getting younger every day. All right. And time for one more. Love it or leave it. Speaking of different things, different spots are trying to take a bonus. I, I don't think John and I are going to watch very much of the NFL Pro Bowl skills competition, no. whatever this is going to be, flag football, tag, two-hand touch, whatever. But they will have the clash at the Coliseum NASCAR race. This is the second year for that or the third year. I can't keep it straight. Second. It's the second. This is essentially a fun exhibition. It doesn't count towards the points championship. And obviously on the floor of the L.A. Coliseum that basically has USC football now, but for many years, they had the Olympics there. They've had other events there, concerts, whatever. There's only so much room. It's not that big of a track. It's different. It's a dirt track. Love it or leave it. Will you watch a little of this without the NFL? Did you watch a little of it last year? How much do you care, John Lewis? I actually did watch a little bit of it last year, surprisingly. I don't really watch a lot of NASCAR, to be completely honest, but uh, I tuned in for a little bit of it. I hope they don't have them walk down the stairs at the Coliseum again. That was really <laughs> awkward and took forever <laughs> to have done. Um, you know, out of out of curiosity, what did it do a year ago? If you know, as a reference point, what can they expect? It's an NFL you know, Sunday, typically, but here it's the Sunday in between the championship games and the Super Bowl. Are we expecting? I mean, NASCAR typically does a few million at its height, right? So we're only yeah. expecting maybe a few million at the most, right? Well, yeah. I mean, it did quite well. Um, you know, I mean, this was an event that used to be called the Budweiser Shootout, and it was a huge event for many years. And then, like it was everything, NASCAR just steadily eroded into almost nothingness. Last year, four point two eight million. And the most watched for the event, uh, if you include the years when it was at Daytona, since 2016. 
Uh, now, a lot, some of that was the move from FS1 to Fox as well, uh, but viewership was up 74% mm. from the And uh, novelty. And novelty yeah. is another important part of this. It was different. Yep. The novelty's not the same. You saw it last year. So maybe yeah. that, I don't know. Now, I did face the Olympics last year. So, you know, maybe it'll do even better this time around. I, I don't know. But uh, and I think it aired, it might have aired after the Pro Bowl. It was an evening race. So it didn't compete with the Pro Bowl. But uh, look, I, I think it's a it's a smart event. NASCAR is getting more and more creative. They're going to have to because NASCAR has managed to stabilize after a lot of decline. That I think the declines are going to ramp up again, if not immediately, then certainly within the next TV deal as people get older and they don't have a relation to cars. You know, I, I mentioned before when we were doing this, sometimes I bring up NASCAR in, in, in a classroom setting. And I would know deep down that none of my students watch NASCAR. And one of the only times when I asked my students, any of you watch NASCAR, and a student actually said yes, it turned out to be Mike Joy's son, right? <laughs> so, Which you would hope that's yeah. preaching to the choir. Mike exactly. Joy's son in the class that he watches NASCAR to see dad. Exactly. I like that. But you're right. I mean, the fandom, the rabid fandom has eroded uh, post Dale Earnhardt Sr., post Jeff Gordon, Tony Stewart, the biggest names, the villains, those kind of things. It, just, it doesn't have that same attraction, good guy, bad guy, as much. So well, you got to get you got to get young people interested in cars. They're not interested in cars. I mean, they are. They're interested in Lamborghinis, but you're not seeing Lamborghinis on a NASCAR track. No. We won't see that this weekend. All good stuff on that. All right. So good on everything with love it or leave it, uh, et cetera. Okay. So that will do it for this edition of the program on the interim in between the Super Bowl. So John and I are making a joint announcement here at, at this point. This will be the final time that you and I will do this incarnation of the sportsmediawatch.com podcast. However, John, through his site, will continue a sportsmediawatch.com podcast. For those of you that are following and those of you that are subscribing that already have Tell Me a Story I Don't Know, Announcer Schedules, as well as this podcast, this podcast feed will continue. I have to be cryptic for a little while longer here this week as we release this, but it will have a new name, same TJ, but it will not be TJ and John. And when John is doing sportsmediawatch.com, it will not be always with TJ around. So I'm just letting the audience know that you and I have enjoyed doing this. I, I, again, want to thank you publicly as I thanked you privately because you were willing to try this. I had to talk you into it. I've had to kind of uh, coach you up that I, I thought we could build it. And we have really built into something here that you now believe uh, has value in and you want to continue it with sportsmediawatch.com. So I'll let you say uh, whatever you'd like to say here at the end of you and I going back and forth with something we started in August of 2021. Yeah, no, it's been a lot of fun doing this every week. I've enjoyed it a great deal. Uh, you did have to convince me to get in on podcasting. I'm going to try to keep it going, uh, you know, and see what uh, see what I can do. And uh, I know there's a lot of people who who listen to this podcast for you know uh, my discussion about sports media. So I don't want to leave you hanging. Mm -hmm. I'm gonna I'm gonna keep it going for a bit. And uh, I've enjoyed working with you and and hosting George's podcast and announcer schedules. Uh, and I'm looking forward to seeing what you folks have uh, going on next. But if you want to listen for me, that it'll be under the same name. It'll be a different link, though, and I'll publicize Correct. it on, on on Twitter and on the site. So if you if you're if you're missing my particular brand of homespun wisdom, you can uh, you know 
you can you can resubscribe to the Sports Media Watch podcast feed. That's correct. And by the way, you'll get all of his takes on everything, including uh, I started talking to you about guacamole on one of the first episodes, and you made a face at me and started laughing. And I said, I think we're going to be good because we're going to talk about different things at times on this. You'll get all of that on the SportsMediaWatch.com podcast feed. So you'll need to subscribe to that feed. And John and I, again, want to say publicly that this is an amicable thing. I'm going to, if you will allow me, bother you from time to time to come on on the new entity, and I will I will pledge to you if you would like for me or anybody else to come on with any of your stuff. It is the same. We're just agreeing to an amicable parting here with what you and I have been doing. It's not a bad thing. It's not an angry thing. We don't want people to think that. Anything else in closing, John, or are we good here? Yeah, I think we're good. Uh, looking forward to the Super Bowl and seeing how many viewers will watch that. And uh, certainly we've got the NHL All-Star Game, the Pro Bowl, and uh, very busy February ahead. But no Olympics. No Olympics. It'll be pretty slow in some ways, too. And by the way, we're only one month away from the best month of all, which is the month of March and college basketball and the holy grail of that. Looking forward to that. John, I've enjoyed it one more time here on the SportsMediaWatch.com uh, podcast. Thank you, sir. Be well. And I look forward to talking to you again because I know I will talk to you again down the road. All right. Same here. There is John Lewis. I'm merely TJ Reeves. Again, for this podcast feed that you're listening to, content will continue, including George Offense, Tell Me a Story I Don't Know, Mike and Phil with announcer schedules, and a different named version of this podcast that John Lewis may occasionally be on. Uh, we'll be on this. John's separate podcast is still the same name, sportsmediawatch.com podcast. Look for it wherever you get podcasts. Find him there. He'll be publicizing it on his social media and his site as well. For now, we're good on this edition of the SportsMediaWatch.com podcast. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant. Coriant provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Coriant has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Coriant has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Coriant has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Coriant's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Coriant.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Coriant.com. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.